Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47 this morning. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. As you're opening up there, what a sweet morning of worship this has been. What a blessing the Lord's Day is. The hymn we sang earlier says, The hill of Zion yields... A thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. We think a lot about heaven, but sometimes we miss the beauties and joys that God's given us in this life. And there's myriads and myriads, but I'm not sure that the pinnacle of those things isn't gathering with the saints on the Lord's day, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. What a foretaste of heaven and what a beautiful, sweet thing it is to get to gather with you here today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles open there, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And awe came on upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And oh God, I pray we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, over the last few months, in particular over this summer, I'll confess that I've been thinking a lot, not only about the last 10 years of ministry uh, at First Baptist Church, but about the next 10 years of ministry at First Baptist Church. For those of you who are new here today, I celebrated a 10-year anniversary as pastor here uh, in July, and so you heard we'll be celebrating that next Sunday. What a joy and honor that is for the church to be willing to do that. We're excited about that. But I've been thinking, um, really, in the last few years as I was approaching that anniversary, and then, of course, it's intensified as we went through that anniversary, what will the next 10 years look like, First Baptist Church? From my perspective, from, from the way I can see things, I've felt like the last 10 years have been beautiful. I've loved the last 10 years of life and ministry here at First Baptist Church. Some of you have been here the whole time, some of you have been here part of the time. But if I had to put a banner over the last 10 years of ministry, some of you have already heard me say this, but it would be this phrase from Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. If we had anything to say about the last 10 years, I think it would be this, strengthen what remains. And by God's grace, He has given us strength. He has strengthened our church. Our numbers are up. Our attendance is up, giving is up, our buildings are in better shape. God has done marvelous things here, and for that, we are so thankful. 
But I want to tell you, I want to confess to you a temptation I have. I, I have a, there's a temptation for me. The temptation for me is to see giving up and attendance up and the building's in better shape and the fellowship sweet and things sort of just going well. Love my church. The church loves their pastor. And it's easy for me to think, well, you know what? It's been a pretty good 10 years. And that's the end of our work. Let's just get into maintenance mode. Well, let's just kind of keep this going. I mean, what, 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 what do we want? Let's just keep these metrics growing. Let's keep going in that direction. Let's do that. I think it's easy for all of us to think, not just me, but for all of us to think that these things are the end of our work, that this is our goal, that the things we can measure, these numbers, are what we're trying to accomplish here. I can remember in the early days here at First Baptist Church, people, I was new here, you know, and people who I knew or weren't in the church, they would always say, how are things going at the church? I'd say, pretty good. I believe they're going well. Is it growing? It's always what folks want to know. Not like, are people growing in the Lord or anything like that? But is it growing? Well, it's easy for us to get into this mindset that that's all that matters. As long as things are growing, as long as things are getting better, as long as we've got margin, as long as we're moving in that sort of direction, that is our goal. It's easy for us to think that way. It's easy for us to fall into that line of thinking. But those things aren't our goal. Those things aren't our work. Those things are our starting point. That's the beginning of our work. You see, if the banner over the last 10 years was strengthen what remains, then let's say the banner over the next 10 years is going to be the second half of that verse. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Why would God strengthen what remains? Why would God breathe life into a church? Why would God give us vitality? Why would God give us people and resources and the finances what to do what? To complete the works He's given us. And brothers and sisters, the works of First Baptist Church are not complete. Our works are not complete in the sight of our God. There's still work to do. We are not at the end of our work. We are at the beginning of our work. The past two years, one thought has come back to me again and again and again. How can we become a gospel engine for Etowah County and beyond? How can we be a place where the fuel of God's grace and people and resources and all the different things that make up a church, the fuel comes here and somehow or another something beautiful happens in this engine and gospel impact is produced. Like a, a car moves forward on the road when it receives fuel, like all sorts of engines are fueled. How can we become a reactor, a gospel engine where when this fuel comes here, it is touched by grace and gospel impact is produced. We take the lives that we have and the resources we have and the influence we have and the gifts that we have and we ask God to take all those things as fuel and through the work and ministry of this church, it results in gospel impact going forward. From this text today, I want to show you a portrait of what a church that's a gospel engine looks like. A church where all this fuel comes in and God produces gospel impact from it. I'm going to show you five things this morning to help us see what a church that generates gospel impact 
looks like. Five things are going to help you see what a church that generates gospel impact looks like. The first kind of church, the first thing a church must be if a church is going to be a gospel engine. The first thing a church must be is a church of living faith. A church of living faith. Now, you'll notice, and this wasn't necessarily on purpose, but you'll notice as we work through this, each of these points could really sort of correspond to one of our five foundations as a church. This one's believe. It means for us to believe. Notice the picture that Luke begins to paint for us. The foundational notes. The first thing he says as he begins to describe the early church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to mention to you one thing that I think is a wrong-headed sort of thought. It's sort of popular, but it uh, I don't think it's as bad as maybe it could be, but none, nonetheless, I think it's just misguided. And it's this idea of pitting the teaching of Jesus against the teaching of the apostles. So you'll have people say things like, well, I really like what Jesus had to say, but I'm not so crazy about Paul. I don't really like what Peter said. or I don't. Well, usually everybody but Paul gets a break. It's really mainly Paul that people don't like. But I want you to know the Bible oftentimes uses the apostles' teaching as shorthand for all of the preaching of the gospel, including the declaration of what Jesus had said. In fact, who was it that heard what Jesus said? That's right, the apostles. (laughs) So they're teaching the next generation of Christians not only what Jesus said, but they're, they're fulfilling what Jesus said would happen. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He will bring to your mind what? All that I've said to you. All of my commandments, all that I've taught you. In other words, to pit the apostles against the teaching of Jesus is to contradict Jesus' own words about what would happen at Pentecost. I trust that Jesus is Lord of His Word and, and Lord, and that He is able to send His Holy Spirit, and that the apostles in their teaching accurately reflect the teaching of Jesus. And I don't have to imagine that. I can read the Gospels and read the rest of the New Testament, and it all works together harmoniously and beautifully and perfectly. No contradiction in these things. And so the church is devoting themselves then to the apostles' teaching. And in doing so, they're devoting themselves in a very true way to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith, what we believe, what is taught from the Scriptures, is at the core of what we do. That's not something we sideline. That's not something we jettison. That's not something we don't come in here and talk about tips for a better life. And and then somebody says, hey, I, I... clicked about 18 times and found what you believe on the website. Tell me about this. We say, we don't really talk about that so much. We really just talk about, uh, you know, having a better life and feeling good. No, what we believe, that the Bible's true and that it gives testimony to a man who happens to also be fully divine, right? Who lived a perfect life, who died and rose again in order that we might be forgiven of our sins. That is the core, that is the center of what we do. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the word of God. We believe in the risen Christ. Notice what else these people were devoting themselves to. It says the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is a picture, I think, of the week-in, week-out gathering of the local church. The apostles' teaching, that is, the apostles would teach or someone would preach based on the teaching of the apostles. Teaching and the fellowship come together 
together at church to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. I think this is a, a, a simple way to refer to the Lord's Supper and also to the larger meals that they tended to have after the Lord's Supper. But it's part of a picture of gathering together as the Lord's church, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Uh, it's one reason we pray in church. <laughs> it's kind of a novelty anymore to pray in church. But it's important that we pray, that we do the things that the Bible says happen in church, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I want you to notice what happens here, how Luke describes this. He says, all came upon every soul. And during this unique time in church history, signs and wonders were being performed to verify that the apostles were truly sent from God. My friends, we will not, we cannot jettison, we cannot sideline, we cannot put in the basement what we believe. It's tempting to do, and I understand why, because in a secular age, belief, faith, in fact, the very truth claims of Christianity have come under intense attack from almost every corner of society, even some corners of what would call themselves the church. But my friends, I understand why somebody might want to or feel a temptation to, but for us, we must remember that the Bible says the church is the fortress and buttress of the truth. We are here to declare what Jesus has done. We are not called to back away from what we believe. We are called to keep it front and center. We must be a church of living faith. My friends, don't be ashamed of what we believe. Don't feel like we ought to play those things down. In fact, Paul teaches that it's precisely the strangeness, or what he calls foolishness, 1 Corinthians. It's precisely the foolishness of what we preach and believe that ultimately draws others in. We have to have a, a message that people can distinguish from Tony Robbins or Oprah or whoever else is, or somebody on TikTok or whatever else is popular these days. We have to have the message of a crucified and risen Savior. My friends, a church that is a gospel engine is a church that has living faith. But second of all, a church that is a gospel engine is a church of vibrant community vibrant community. Now, I think we have a sweet fellowship here. But these verses might make us twitch just a little bit when we start to see the way the community of the early church was defined. It makes me a little uncomfortable, okay, to think about being in this kind of community. Just a little, just a little. There's a little hesitation maybe. Notice what the Bible says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common now, this doesn't mean a total abdication of personal property. It's clear that people retained personal property. So any thought, sometimes somebody who lazily has read this text will trot out that this was proto-communism or something like that. But that, that's not the case at all. People retained personal property. There was certainly no coercion from the church or the government to do uh, anything. In fact, you can see that in the... Um, uh, uh, you can see that in the story of those in, later in Acts who lied about bringing property uh, and selling property and giving all that they had to the Lord. And Peter says to them explicitly, you didn't have to do this. You were under no compulsion to do this. There's no compulsion to do that, but they were doing this willingly. They were together. They had all things in common. And what else were they doing? This shows you again that they still retained some per personal property because they were able to sell it. They sell their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And they attended the temple together, 
They broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I hope you see this, the way that this common life was lived. And it's a common life that we've been called to as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and distributed the proceeds as any had need. They attended the, temp- they attended the temple together. They broke bread in their homes. Do you see this picture of vibrant community that Luke is painting? This is something beyond just being social acquaintances or even good friends. And I want to say that there are some who act like this is totally foreign to the church today. But I don't think that's the case at all. Now certainly we could all grow in some of these things, right? Even something as simple as, this is something I was convicted about as I read this. When was the last time we just had someone over for supper? Just broke bread together in our home. What an important part of Christian hospitality that is. But this is, there's something I feel like this is totally foreign to what the church does. But I, I want to remind you that these are things we are doing, but we don't always do it in a way that's splashy and flashy. In fact, it's best not to do. You know, I think Jesus had some things to say about that, right? But I can't begin to tell you how many private acts of benevolence I've brokered in the last 10 years. It's one of my favorite things about my job. Is it somehow to get loose that this someone needs this or someone needs that? And the next thing I know, someone's coming to me and they're slipping something into my hand and they're saying, I need you to just handle this with discretion, Pastor. Can you? And I do. And it's a beautiful thing, but I can't go and tweet. Like, guess what? Our people basically are selling their possessions and giving to all who have need because they want to keep it private. But it's happening, my friends. We support the Etowah Baptist Mission Center. We, we historically, and we'll again have a dental clinic that's been put on pause and hiatus through COVID, but we help people who are in need. There are other ministries in the church where we help people. There's private help that people give to one another. But my friends, I want us to remember that vibrant community is essential if we are going to reach the world we've been called to reach. There has never been a lonelier generation. There have never been people who feel more distant from one another. That which we've designed to help connect people, things like social media, turns out they're actually driving people further apart. You spend five minutes on social media and you can see why. Think about this. My friends, people are lonely. People are struggling. And I think vibrant community is going to be one of the most significant hallmarks of Christian witness in the coming years. We have people for whom secularism and almost an anti-Christian thought is the world in which they're being raised. This is their milieu. This is all they think is true. And so what will it be like when they're lonely and alone and they hate what they believe, but all of a sudden they find themselves liking us and wanting to be around us? That's what vibrant community does. It gives favor with all the people, as verse 47 does. A church that is a gospel engine must be marked by vibrant community. Sunday school teachers, people who are leaders in certain groups, be thinking right now about in the coming years, how can we cultivate more vibrant community in our church? Third of all, not only must we be a church with Uh, belief or faith. Not only must we be a church with community, but third of all, we must be a church of authentic worship. Authentic worship. Notice this picture. 
Notice this picture that, Paul, that Luke is painting. I want you to see it. Look at verse 46. Day by day they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, doing what? Praising God and having favor with all the people. Glad and generous hearts. You ever come to church? I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest with yourself. You ever come to church and you come in and you sing and you know you ought to be worshiping, but you get done and you think, you know, it just didn't really do it for me today. It happens to me sometimes, right? I'm sure it's happened to Nathan sometimes. Hey, I, I just didn't worship the way I like to worship today. I, I didn't feel it the way I would normally feel it. It's okay. You don't have, nobody expects you to perfectly worship every Sunday. But let me encourage you not to do something. Some people come in every Sunday Every Sunday, I don't ever hear this from, from y'all, but I've heard it from people in other churches. They like to tell their deep, dark secrets to other preachers. I've learned. People in other churches. And they say, you know, I just, I didn't really feel like I worshipped today. Or they'll, they'll be critical. I didn't really like the songs. I think if they'd pick different songs. I don't like these songs about Jesus. I prefer other songs about Jesus. That makes me worship better. They, they say things like that, saying, I think I would have worshipped better if... This had happened or that had happened. But I want you to notice something. True worship doesn't start in what somebody else does on Sunday morning. True worship doesn't happen, doesn't start with what happens on the stage on Sunday morning. True, true worship doesn't start when you open that hymnal the first time on Sunday morning. Notice how Luke describes this. Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food, what? With glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. As part of how he's describing their life together, he shows the way that the condition of their hearts, that they were glad and generous in the day-to-day -day warp and woof of life, something as simple as receiving your food, Right? Something as simple as receiving your food. I know what some of us do. I know what some of us do. We kind of go through the motions in everyday life. We think, well, this is just a blessing. Let's get it over with. Good food, good meat. Good God, let's eat. You know, we try to eat and hurry up and forget these things. But maybe if you're not getting something out of worship every Sunday, maybe it's not because of what's happening here. Maybe it's because of what's happening in here. Maybe it's because you're not living a lifestyle of worship that results in glad and generous hearts, even in the simple things of life. Don't forget that when Jesus taught us to pray, one of the most simple things he taught us to pray is, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. To ask God for that, to be thankful for that. My friends, we have to have a lifestyle of worship if we're going to have meaningful and authentic worship here. If worship seems stale and cold to you, then maybe you should check your heart. But we do, we worship through Praise. We praise God. Glad and generous hearts. Hearts that are walking with God. Hearts that are worshiping God. And all that we do in life erupt in praise to God, not only on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. But it also says they were attending the temple together. Um, this probably means not only going to witness to other Jewish people, but this probably also means their weekly worship as well. And so there's a picture here of corporate worship. And if not here, then certainly earlier in the text. 
for gathering for worship each week. Corporate worship is an important part of worship. It's not the beginning point of worship, but it's an essential part of worship. It's part of what it means for us to have authentic worship is to gather together, to sing out, and to sing loud praises to our God. Let those refuse to sing who never knew God. But as for us, we will sing praises to God. You'll never know what it does for me to hear you sing. The most important instrument on Sunday morning is the voice of of the congregation. The Bible says we are called to sing hymns and psalms and songs and spiritual songs to one another. Remember, when you come here to sing, you're not just singing for you, you're singing for your neighbor. You're singing for your brother and sister in Christ. I know some of you have been here on Sunday morning. I've heard the testimonies of those who are grief-stricken, those who are struggling, those who barely could make it, who couldn't bring themselves to sing on Sunday morning, but whose spirits and hearts were lifted by those who sang on their behalf. I've been there, my friend. I've been there. I felt sorry for myself and was mad about something or whatever else. In hearing you praise Jesus, God used it to melt my heart. Now think about this. Someone who doesn't believe in God, someone who doesn't care about the gospel, comes to church, and they expect to hear people who are kind of droning on and on and singing like they have to believe it, and instead they hear people who can't carry a tune in a bucket, belting out praise to their God. My friends, that does something to someone. Worship must define our hearts, our lives, and our gathering together. And we will continue to use the gifts and traditions that God has so graciously given to us to continue to sing praises to Him week in and week out with authentic worship in our hearts. Fourth of all, we must be a church with deep roots if we are to be a gospel engine. Overall, you see this picture here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in verse 42. And then in verse 46, day by day, they attended temple together. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God. They had favor with all the people. You can see the way that this devotion to Scripture and this devotion to the church divined all of their lives. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. My friends, we need to be devoted to the Bible, through Bible reading, through listening to Bible preaching, through Bible teaching. They attended the temple together. Church, just coming to church, is the most important first step of discipleship. And it's a simple way to grow deeper roots. Then he talks about this time together day by day. Just in the simplicity of life. These are opportunities beyond the Lord's Day. Maybe it's training you. Maybe it's groups that will start. Maybe it's just individual time together where we grow deeper together. Don't be afraid to ask someone who's older than you or who's got a certain aspect of their walk that you'd like to grow in. Hey, can I, can I, can we eat lunch together? And I'd just love to learn more about how you do your quiet time every day or how you understand the Bible in this way. You can do that. There's a day-by-day nature to what it means to grow deep roots. And it's going to take deep roots to have a robust Christian witness in these days. Many scholars are talking about the pressures of what it means to live in a secular age and the crosswinds are the words that are often used of what it means to live in a secular age for Christians. Gone are the days of easy believism. Gone are the days where we can take cultural Christianity 
for granted. These crosswinds of secularism are going to blow us down if we don't have robust, deep roots growing deep into Christ. We must be faithful disciples. We must be a church with deep roots if we're going to be a gospel engine. But finally, finally, a church that's a gospel engine, a church that's characterized in all these ways, is a church that has gospel impact. We call this reaching in our context. To reach. Notice how this ends. Verse 47. It says they gained favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see how everything so far has been about what the church was doing? You notice this? And they did this, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. And you notice what it doesn't say? And they added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What does it say? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see this portrait? Do you see this picture that Luke's painted about these earliest believers, the early church? They had living faith. They were a vibrant community. Their worship was alive and authentic. Their roots were deep and strong. And in the context of all these things, the Lord added day by day those who were being saved. My friends, we are committed to be faithful. We are committed to follow God. We are committed to believe the gospel. And we are committed to believe that God will take care of the fruit. I believe He will. God's given us resources. He's given us people. He's given us a beautiful facility. It's well-maintained. He's given us favor. Goodness, the favor you have. I see it everywhere I go. Wait, people tell me, now you're so-and-so's pastor, right? I love that person. That's favor with people in the city, in the county, and beyond. God's given us all these things. Now our focus in the days and months and years to come is faithfulness. A consistent witness through belief, love, worship, and discipleship. And God, by His grace, will give us favor as we share the gospel to those around us. We can't just sit back and wait on the fruit. We have to go and tell people the gospel. In fact, this is coming right on the heels of of Peter declaring the gospel and God giving 3,000 people salvation through that preaching. We can't just sit back and wait, but we have to recognize our focus is faithfulness and God will handle the fruit. This is how we become a gospel engine that produces gospel impact. The last 10 years, strengthen what remains. The next 10 years, because your works are not yet finished, in the sight of the Lord our God. My friends, we have work to do. What will this work look like? How will our gospel impact here and beyond grow? I believe God will save sinners. I believe God will save marriages. I think God will move couples to foster and adopt as the church cares for widows and orphans. I think the witness of the church and the volunteering of the church will lead babies to be saved from abortion. I think people in desperate situations will find biblical counseling that they desperately need. I think the lonely will find community that they long for. I think seekers and skeptics groping in the darkness will open their eyes to the light of Jesus Christ. I think the unity of the church 
I think the unity of the church will spill over into our community and unite people across every division, political, racial, socioeconomic, and more. These things are gospel impact. I believe the nations will hear the word from missionaries sent from this church. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that if we will continue to drink deeply of the gospel and that we'll continue to live it out according to the scriptures, I believe with all my heart that First Baptist Church has already started becoming and will continue to become and grow into a gospel engine for Etowah County and beyond. The fuel that God's given us is ignited and produces gospel impact. I believe it will happen. I believe it's happening even now. Let's all believe God together, church. I look forward to the next 10 years and look forward to seeing how God uses us at First Baptist Church. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted God for the first time, I really believe the gospel's true. I think Jesus died to save sinners. And if you are a sinner, and if you're in here, you are. If you'll turn from your sin and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just need some time to pray that God would use me to bear fruit according to His gospel. This altar is open for you, and I'd be happy to talk with you or pray with you. Finally, you may be looking for a church home, and you may say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. You come down front today. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. If you're in any of these categories, I'll be waiting on you here in just a moment. After this prayer, let me invite you to come. Let's pray together.